Good morning. Uh, turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 1. We have been working our way through in the early chapters of the book of Genesis, and we've been in a pause which ends this morning, uh, a pause to stop and, and go back and look at the, the theme of our being created in the image of God. It's a statement of immense importance for understanding ourselves, for understanding how life works. And so we've been looking at specific ways in which our being image bearers uh, helps us think through some of the big questions and struggles that we face in the world around us. Today we finish by considering how our being created in God's image affects sexuality and gender, which have become enormous issues in our culture. Genesis chapter 1, verse 27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. This is not the description of uh, a taskmaster God. This is the declaration of a heavenly father whose heart is thrilled for this work he is accomplishing, that he is bringing into existence those whom he will adore creating in his image those beings who he desires to have eternal fellowship with in a way that is beyond anything else we could experience or imagine. These three phrases in verse 27 define fundamental human reality. How do we understand ourselves? The first phrase, God created man in his own image. Our existence is not an accident, it's not by chance. God created us. The second image, the second phrase, in the image of God he created them, which tells us our identity is connected specifically with the person of God. We are connected in relationship. We are connected by character. We're even connected to some measure in the work and responsibility that God would have us perform in this world as those who are stewards over the rest of creation. And then the last phrase, male and female, he created them. God specifically made us in two genders. Now these realities should all be self-evident. They should be normal. The normal way in which we understand ourselves and the world. However, these truths are no longer seen as self-evident and they're not considered to be Normal. In fact, many of them are actually denied and just cast aside as having little worth in our present age. And in this generation, perhaps no normal has been overthrown or is seeking to be overthrown more than that of sexuality and gender. First gender normals were misused through gay sexuality and gay marriage. And we're told that people are born that way, so it, it must be normal. Or that people of different sexes just want to love one another. Isn't that normal? But it's gone further where now gender itself is denied that gender is no longer considered to be binary, meaning two parts. 
The fact that there are two genders is no longer part of how people think. That gender itself is a personal construct and it is believed there, there is no end to the number of genders that we could decide upon and identify with. And we're told if people feel they are a different gender, shouldn't that be normalized? And to human culture, nothing is more normal than choosing how we wish to identify. So what could be wrong about these ideas that are so strongly felt and pursued by so many people in our culture? Why would we say anything different? Why would we not just embrace it and be glad for it? What could be wrong and even harmful with these ideas? The answer is back in the verse we read, Genesis 1, verse 27. First, that we are created beings. So our identity is not something to be found. We were created every aspect of our existence was given by God. He invented us down to every molecule and every cell of our body God formed. Identity is not to be found. Identity is to be understood by what God has already done in his creation of us. And so the, the idea that we're born this way is a misunderstanding. What we are born with is sinfulness. Because of the fall, we are all born as sinful beings now, and sin will will find all sorts of ways to be drawn away from the truths of God. So it is not that people are born in particular sinful ways. It is that all of us are pulled. We all experience the pull of particular sins. Many of them, but there are always some sins that, that will pull us in particular ways which others may not. The idea that people just want to love one another and shouldn't that be allowed? And God never wants to get in the way of one person loving another. It's the great commandment to love God with all that we are and to love our neighbor as ourselves. God is very much pro-love for this reason. Love only exists because of God. Love exists because God loves. There is no other reason that love is in the world except that God loves. And we are created in his image to be those who love. Debbie's flowers appreciate being watered, but there's no love back from them. They are living entities that don't experience love because plants do not have the image of God and animals don't have the image of God, but, but we do. And so we love. But not all love is meant to be sexualized. And we fundamentally know that. We all have relationships where there is deep love that we understood that they should never be sexualized, that to seek to sexualize them would be destructive and damaging. Whether it's the children in our home, we all recognize sexual abuse is something 
very disturbing and hurtful. We all recognize that we love other people deeply, but to sexualize those relationships would bring great damage. And so God is not anti-love of one person to another, even within genders. God, who is love, understands how love is expressed, and sexuality does not belong in every loving relationship. Sexuality is given for one particular relationship, part of the covenant of being one flesh together. Not only are we created beings, and that directs how we think about sexuality and gender. Second, we are created in the image of God. Identity is not fluid. Identity, and this is a staggering concept. One that's simply too too huge, too grand for us. But part of our being image bearers, part of your core being is connected to the being of who God is. God, a righteous being. And so we are made to be a righteous people. God, who is a being of, of love and graciousness, of care, we we share attributes of God's character so that we might, in our humanity, live out and have an impact on one another and on the world in a way that reflects God's very heart. Thinking we can create identity, that's the empty promise of Genesis 3, where, where sin first wormed its way into the world. It was on the empty promise of we can grasp our own identity. Let's go back what was preached on a few weeks ago by Eric and Dan back to Genesis chapter 3 verses 1 to 6 to be reminded and see what took place. Genesis 3, 1, now the serpent, who the New Testament tells us is Satan. Now Satan was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say, you should not eat of any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may not eat of the, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that's in the midst of the garden, a specific tree. Neither shall you touch it, lest you die. The serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened. You will be like God, knowing good and evil. And so when the woman saw the tree was good for food, and that it was the delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate the desire to exalt ourselves, the desire that we can shape who we are. We can shape the world after our desires. That empty promise was the door through which every bit of sorrow and destruction that's ever been in this world came through. The idea that we can form our own identity has always been an empty promise. And thirdly, we see in the passage that we are created to live in male and female fruitfulness. Male and female, he created them. And in verse 28, it goes on to say, and then God blessed them and God said, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Whether it is homosexuality or gender alteration, uh, those practices literally destroy fruitfulness. 
even if you're an atheist, even if you believe in evolution, that there is no God, you have to admit that a homosexual community would cease to exist after one generation. It is impossible, literally impossible, for that way of living to be fruitful. Nothing will ever change that. And so gender alteration also stops fruitfulness with which we are created to exist. How can those things be good when they destroy fruitfulness? Now, you may honestly feel at odds within you with what the Bible has to say about gender and sexuality. Lots of people feel at odds with that inside, and they're not sure what to do with that. But the truth is, that means you're like every other person in the world. We're all at odds with things God says. Every single one of us. For every one of us, there are things that God says and our heart doesn't want to go there. We struggle with it. It doesn't look good to us. It doesn't look best. And we want to go a different way. That is a struggle within the soul of every person born in this world because we were all born with the sin inherited from Adam and Eve when they rebelled against God. The answer is not to deny what God says because there is resistance in our heart. Rather, the answer is to go closer to God and be honest from your heart and ask God to bring his care to understand. How should my life work? Lord, where are you in this? What do you have for me? It is not pushing him away. It's running toward him as the one who can help each of us in every form of resistance we have. Now, we can choose to ignore God. You can choose just not even to think about him. However, you cannot push him aside. God simply isn't ever pushed aside. Every breath you take is him giving it to you. Every heartbeat is, is a work of God. And God rules over all that is. And he rules over all that's present. And he rules all that's coming. Life, death, eternity. It's all in the hands of one person. The person of God. So he. You can ignore that, but you can't push him aside. And so there are consequences for ideas, what we think, how we live. They have consequences. The reason God speaks to us is God knows all of the consequences. He's the only one who sees them all, who knows them all. And God, in his abounding love, speaks so that we can think wisely, well, fruitfully, that we might be protected from consequences that ravage the soul and life. God's entire desire for giving us truth is to display his goodness and that we might live in it. God gives us truth for our protection because ideas have consequences. For just a couple minutes, just to to lean into the, the one area that is being pressed upon us now, and that is gender theory. And we're being told it's 
It's innocent. It's good for whoever wants to pursue it. It's not something we should speak against or be concerned about. In fact, we should embrace it. However, it has consequences. That should be self-evident. There's intellectual inconsistency. How, How would you teach a biology class where... In our chromosomes, we're male or female, and that's true of every cell in our body. Every cell in your body is male or female. And if 500 years from now, future people dig up your body, they will be able to quite easily say you are a male or female. They will know it. It will be self-evident. Because every cell of your body and the DNA in it declares what we are. So to go from a biology class to a gender studies class, how, how do we intellectually have honesty to speak of one and then speak of the other as if they're not connected? The issue of public safety, that anyone should have the right to use any locker room. For many years, I swam at the Ocean City Community Center pool. And I think of uh, those days when the overlaps were leaving, the, the men who were swimming are in the locker room, and the boys are coming for school and they're a gym class. And, and as I was going through this, I thought, in the girls' locker room that a man should be allowed there in that situation? We think that's safe? You, you want your little girl to be there with that man who just says, I feel this way? That's safe? There is fairness. Right now, women are losing the ability to fairly compete in sports. Why is that so? Because men and women are different. Men are just stronger, faster, bigger. Their their bodies are different. And so women who are wonderful athletes and are training themselves and are committed and will no longer be able to win a race by men of average abilities in that area simply because men and women are different. Parental rights. The advocates of gender theory go after the the idea of secrecy of children from the parents. They push secrecy that your parents will be the biggest barrier to you getting what you need. So here's a philosophy that at its very beginnings urges children to pull away from and be secretive from those who know and love them more than anyone in the world. And those who are urging that, when the destruction comes, they don't know, they're not there, they don't care. The parents are left with it. The right to free speech. Boy, we love that in this country. But affirmation is demanded. It's demanded. You must rejoice and affirm in other people's desires. To disagree is called hate. Disagreement called hate. What other area do we, are we not allowed to disagree? And all of these things add to social instability. Community cannot function. 
when everyone gets to choose their own identity and everyone has to bow to it, when your identity can be anything at any time in any way, how does society navigate that? When truth is denied, when truth is self-defined, society has no idea. It's impossible to process that. I was watching a video. Uh, A young man was interviewing college students on a campus. And he begins by asking them questions about identity. What about those who are men but want to identify as a woman or vice versa? And they're all quick. Oh, of course. They should be able to do that. Definitely. And then he moved on. Uh, What if I wanted to identify as a Chinese woman? And they kind of pause somewhat. Well, you're not a Chinese woman, but can I identify as that? And they've already gone through the door, so they know their words have already, so they end up, why, if you want to, of course, yes, you can. Uh, Can I identify as a six-foot-five Chinese woman? Well, you're not a six-foot-five Chinese woman. I know, but can I identify as that? And now they're really squirming. But they have to all end up in the saying, well, I, I guess you can. And there's literally no end to it. It has nothing to do with what you can see, what is true. We've, we've moved to whatever you say you are must be affirmed. And if a crime takes place, how, do you even, how can you even be a witness to that? And there are a thousand ways in which society simply cannot function. In June, the Daily Telegraph in the UK published a story of school children that go to class and identify as animals. So they identify as a cat and meow in response, and the teacher has to accept that, can't rebuke that, and you think of all the silliness, and kids are very quick to find the way to work the system. I mean, they are professionals at finding how to manipulate the system. And there's a quiz today, and if I say I'm a cat and meow, They have to say, okay? And I'm identifying every meow as the right answer. (laughs) We laugh, or we can say, well, that's just an extreme example. Uh, It's extreme, and yet it's true. It's true. It's true. It's truly happening. Now, the the statement is, as long as it doesn't hurt anyone, then it should be fine. But we've just seen, as long as it doesn't hurt anyone, but it's hurting everyone. It's hurting them. It's hurting society. It's hurting the, the ability to even give an opinion. It's hurting safety. It's hurting fairness. And, and then when you start going into the medical steps and children being urged to to go through procedures and to change hormones. And once those steps are taken, it's impossible to go back. It's impossible to go back. The hormone treatment is told It's just a pause until you can decide. Let's just, it's neutral. We'll just, let's change, give you hormone therapy until you decide. And what they don't say is that the hormones stop your maturity and it's impossible to get those years back. It's impossible 
to get those years back. They have been stolen from that child. And communities are being told that's kind of the safe neutral route. And the surgery, you, you cannot redo it. You can, a surgeon can move tissue to outwardly look like something, but it can never function again. The function is forever lost. It is literally no different than mixing candy and pharmaceuticals in the aisles, telling the kids, get whatever you want. There is no difference. We've removed the guardrails. We're not allowed to give an opinion of safety. And we're saying, children, just grab whatever pills, whatever things you want. Just take them, taste, see what happens. And we're mixing the poison with the candy. And we're not thinking that has consequences. And the final consequences will be that God must condemn the misuse of his image. God will condemn the misuse of his image within ourselves or we misuse the image in others. But God cannot close his eyes to that. Now, there are some in the church who respond, Jesus never spoke against these issues, so why would we? But they ignore two basic realities. First, they ignore who Jesus is. Jesus wasn't a man who lived for a few years, 2,000 years ago. He is the eternal Son of God, the Word of God made flesh. He is part of the triune God, and the triune God has one opinion. Jesus, Son of God, doesn't have a different opinion from what the Father inspired to have written, what the Spirit gave to be written, that they are together of one mind. And so Jesus, the word of God, the expression, the declaration of God has no disagreement with anything anywhere in Scripture. In fact, he condemned those who would change any of it. And who, what Jesus said, to say Jesus never spoke on this, Matthew 19. This is what Jesus said. When he's being questioned, Jesus answered, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? And said, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Yes, Jesus did speak. Now, there are pastors influential, and I'll speak of one just because right now he is speaking to these issues very publicly, Andy Stanley, one of the largest churches in America. He is speaking on it because his church is hosting a conference that's meant to build up, encourage, and bless those who are from uh, gay communities and children and parents and the guest speakers will be men married to each other. And he says, he says this, Jesus never started an interaction with someone using theology. And from there he goes on to say, so if our theology hurts ministry, we have the wrong theology. Now, Jesus may not have started every conversation with an Old Testament Bible verse, but Jesus always got to theology. Theology just means the truth of God. And Jesus always 
got there. Jesus always used theology. In fact, he, he is the only perfect theologian. I'm not sure what Romans 16 has to do with it, but <laughs> I'm sure there's something for you. There's no ambiguity in the Bible about these issues. Stanley would go on to say, uh, because people then will tell, well, there are Bible verses that are very clear in the Old and New Testament that speak about gender and sexuality. The, the Bible just speaks about it clearly. And he, he brushes that aside and says, well, those are clobber verses. Clobber verses, uh, they're Bible verses. Now, we've all experienced Bible verses that do clobber us at times because we want to go our own way. So, we have a saying, if the shoe fits. So, the Bible confronts us with truth. But to escape what the Bible says by saying they're just clobber verses, we've just said the Bible really doesn't shape us anymore. How did we get to this place? It baffles many of us, but it shouldn't. It is the natural outcome of determining our own way. That's how we got here. We, we choose our own way. We deny God is sovereign. We want to shape truth by our desires. That's how we got here. It's not a secret path. It's not something no one could have seen. It is the direct result of us choosing our way instead of the truth of God. Now, they've been wanting us to go to Romans 16. We're going to go to Romans 1. <laughs> so, I'm just going to graciously disagree with the tech guys. I like Romans 16. This morning, we're going to be in chapter 1. Romans 1, verse 21. It, it talks about how we got here. For although they, meaning humanity, although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking. Their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. Verse 26. For this reason... God gave them up to dishonorable passions. For their women exchanged natural relations for those which are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men, receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. And that's where we can be tempted to say, see, those people... Bible says what's wrong with them. And so we need to speak about and against those people. Look what they've done. And they're going to get what they deserve. But Paul doesn't stop there. He, without pausing for breath, and since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a de debased mind to do what, not, what ought not to be done. And we're thinking, that's right, those people, they were filled with, now he describes who those people are, they're filled with all manner of unrighteousness, coveting, malice, envy, murder, strife. You ever had strife? Deceit, maliciousness, they are gossips. 
saying something that you have no business saying. They're slanderers saying things about public people that you, you have no idea. They're gossips, they're slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents. Paul doesn't let us get away with saying those people. How did we get there? Where are we? According to God's diagnosis, all sinners are on the same path. We're just on different locations. Your normal sexual sins are not less serious in the eyes of God. And your old-fashioned gossip, selfishness is under the condemnation of God. As we rightly exercise concern over newly normalized sins, let us not close our eyes to old-fashioned normal sins. For the heart of God hates it all. So how do we respond to those who want to change normal? We're a little bit long, but we just need to cover it. You can complain when you're driving home. <laughs> or you can complain, pick around 1.30, 1.45, complain then because I'll be in my nap and won't know or care. <laughs> How do we respond to those who change normal? Well, first, those who are advocates, meaning those who are trying to force society to accept their views and agenda. To the advocates, we must remain clear, not be intimidated, but graciously clear. We don't have to be afraid, give up ground. The foundation for truth never changes. What is true is true. And we know what's true by what the Creator says. <laughs> to the adherents, meaning those who honestly believe this is true of me, this is best for me, this is the way I think I should go. Those who are adhering to things that trouble us. They already know you disagree with them, so pointing that out, you're not getting anywhere. Ask for their story. Why, why do they think that way? How did they get there? How do they understand it? Earn respect so that you can tell them Jesus' story. Why would someone who doesn't think you respect them care about anything you say? Why would they listen? Why would they open their ears if they think you have no respect for them? Parents. You are not to blame. And you have not earned extra shame. Because your children may be caught in some of these particular sins. The fault is sin. And as imperfect a parent as you are, you are not to blame and you do not bear some extra shame because of what particular sin your child may be in. Freaking out is understandable, but it's not helpful. Freaking out, we tend to say extreme things that are hard to pull back. Freaking out keeps us from thinking well. 
Freaking out keeps us from representing God in the moment. But, parents, to ignore the influences of social media and other forces to pretend they don't exist is not wise. When it comes to gender dysphoria, the idea that I don't feel comfortable with my sexuality, the overwhelming majority of that right now is not sexual. The overwhelming majority, and it tends to be young girls, it is not a sexual response. It is a response to two areas. One is the the image of being the perfect woman and girl that no one can match. And the pressures of culture to fulfill that. And then you have their own hormones and body changes and all of that angst. And to be a boy seems easier. It is escape from the pressures and the images that are being placed that you must fulfill. And to escape that, large numbers of young girls are going to what is safe. No sexuality or more like a boy because I'm just trying to protect myself. And the second then, particularly with social media and the, the pressures that are placed and the angst Do you remember teenage angst? So now, just normal angst about life, trying to make it work. They're being told through advocates that if, do you have angst? Do you struggle? Are you ever afraid? Do you ever feel uncomfortable with yourself? And everyone in the world is going, yeah. That's because you have gender dysphoria. So this one label is given to every fear, uncertainty, every I don't feel comfortable, I don't know what to do, and it's all being labeled as you have gender dysphoria. And following that then is, so take this hormone, use these binders, or had this surgery, and you can't get any of that back because ideas have consequences. Wise parenting, from the earliest age, you cultivate communication that your children can talk to you, and freaking out makes it hard for children to think they can talk to you. Spend your life building that your children can talk to you. That is a gift you can give your children. Show that you value Christ, and that comes with your actions. You exalt Christ. He is most important to you. You value him. Even if they come to a place they don't share it, they see you value Christ. They will need to remember that. And rest on the Holy Spirit's power. That's what you need. You can't control your two-year-old. You can't get them to eat. We can make certain things happen with our children. You cannot control their minds, their hearts. You can't control yours. We need the Spirit of God to work. In the end, we all have the same need, the need for Christ. Tim Keller says, if if the church is a waiting room, let it be a doctor's waiting room not a job interview waiting room. The doctor's waiting room, you're sitting there and you know, everyone here is sick of something. We're all sick. We're all here because we need the doctor. 
Every one of us needs someone to do something to help us. The job interview waiting room, everyone's a competitor, and you have to be more impressive than them. Let the church be the doctor's waiting room. People need new convictions. And the convictions they need are only found in Christ. People need empowering transformation. And only the Holy Spirit can do that. No one needs a mushy gospel that affirms whatever they want to be or do. We need a robust gospel that declares what Christ has done to save. So let me close with this. Created in God's image, that is wonderful. It's a wonderful truth because we're creating the image of God who is perfectly wise. He always understands. He always knows the way. We're in the image of God who is entirely good. And the whole earth he created was good until we pushed him away. He is totally sovereign. No matter how great the mess, our God reigns. And he is wonderfully gracious. We cannot free ourselves. And that's why Jesus came. Are you confused? The world's like a maze to you. How do you get out? Who do you want to listen to? The person in the maze with you or the person who looks from above and can tell you? Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, I ask that you would graciously speak to each one here according to your wisdom and goodness that they would know you are speaking, not a man, not an opinion. Speak to us. Guide us. Transform us. In Jesus' name, amen.